drop. Hi, Idaho Democrats. Welcome to another episode of ID Pod, where we talk about Idaho politics and how it affects you, the voter. We are your hosts, uh, Shelby Scott, Lindsay Johnson, and Jesse Maldonado. So excited to have everybody back in the podcast studio for another episode. We're quite hey. excited and thrilled to continue doing this. Uh, today, we're going to uh, uh, interview Representative Steve Birch. Uh, representative Steve Birch uh, is the state representative from Legislative District 15, uh, which is uh, West Boise uh, here in Ada County. Just a little bit about Steve. Uh, Steve has lived and worked in West Boise's District 15 for 38 years. He and his wife, Leslie, have been married for 36 years. Their daughter, Katie, attends Boise State University. In 2018, Steve was elected to the state legislature, representing District 15, House CA, and serves on the education, business, and local government committees. He was elected to a six-year term on the board of directors of the Greater Boise Auditorium District in 2013, and then resigned after being elected to the legislature. Steve worked at Hewlett Packard in a variety of capacities for over 35 years, including long-term strategic planning for multiple HP business divisions. We're really excited to have Steve um, on this podcast. Um, he is our first legislator and first elected official that we've had on the podcast. So we're really uh, thankful that Steve was willing and able to join us. And we cover a lot of great topics. He's knocked on thousands of doors um, in District 15. Uh, he's ran for the legislature several times. Um, and he's really focused on finding more candidates and finding determined candidates uh, who want to run for the legislature in places where maybe Democrats haven't won before. So I think it's a pretty good interview. Um, we Good had, episode. Yeah, we had fun recording it. Um, we had some lovely pastries from Gaston, so if you hear us chewing, excuse us. <laughs> Sorry we for couldn't, the couldn't help ourselves. Yes. Chewing ASMR on ID Pod. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as well. Um, and here we go. We have some icebreaker questions to kind of get everybody comfortable, and they're not about politics. So what's your favorite potato dish? Goldie's special potatoes. Oh, <laughs> that's, really, a, that's, really that's a good, good. choice. That's very specific. Really, really good. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> a very uh, Boise answer. Yes, it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Are we ready to jump into the real Let's do it. talk. Yeah, I can go. Do ahead you want to kind of just lead? The, yeah. yeah so, Steve, yes. um, Representative Birch, we're really excited that we get to call you that. You just got elected last year in 2018 um, after running. Um, how many times did you run for office? So I ran. Well, so it's not a simple answer. The, <laughs> I ran five times for the legislature. I ran four times in District 15, and I ran three times against the same incumbent. Mm -hmm. What other offices have you ran for? So I ran for uh, the uh, for director for the. Greater Boise Auditorium District, or known as GBAD, and I did that in 2013, and uh, I won that position. What does the Auditorium District do? So the Auditorium District um, is responsible, essentially responsible for the uh, managing the uh, the Boise Center on the Grove, which is the convention center here in Boise, and the the Board of Directors oversees that uh, that operation. Um, so you ran. Lots and lots of times for office. What spurred you to do it? You know, why have you decided to dedicate so much of your, uh, so much of your life to running for office? Well, it's you know, a it's, moment. I've or? always well, well, what got me started was interesting. I, uh, you know, and like it happens, I think with a lot of people, I was asked, <laughs> and uh, I had worked for thirty years in Hewlett Packard, and then I was part of a workforce reduction, 
in 2008, or as I like to say, HP decided I was too valuable. <laughs> <coughs> and it's um, a good way to look at it. And so I was uh, meeting with my CPA, uh, and this was in 2010, in March of 2010. And she asked me if I had thought about running for office. And I said, well, you know, I've, I've considered it. And she said, well, the, the filing deadline is this Friday. <laughs> so I went down to Secretary of State's office, paid 30 bucks, filed. And, you know, I'm a pretty analytical guy. I thought I'd weigh the pros and cons. And, but it took only about one or two minutes. It was kind of in a moment. Just said, you know, if not now, when? I had mm-hmm. the time. I had the, the interest. And uh, I had a great career at HP. Uh, but I, saw, I see public service as the next chapter in my life. Um, and it seems a little more meaningful than helping HP sell more ink. <laughs> um, and it's been great. Uh, public service, running for office, and holding office has been everything I, was, I would hope public service was and would be and more. Mm-hmm. What was it like that first time you ran for office? It was an education. So when I, the very first time I ran was in 2010, which was actually the last year of the old District 14. I, um, it was, which was mostly Star and Eagle, North Meridian, and parts of West Boise. And I had run for Raul Labrador's vacated seat. And this was, running as a Democrat, uh, this was, you could label this district impossible. Because in this district lived uh, Raul Labrador, uh, lived Butch Otter, the governor, uh, the, uh, Norm Simanco, the chairman of the Idaho Republican Party at the time, Mike Moyle, who was the majority leader of the House, and Chuck Winder. Sounds like a rough place. <laughs> it is. But, you know, but it, the thing is, you keep your eye on the prize. You know, you, you stay focused on what you're trying to achieve. And, and I knocked on thousands and thousands of doors and came to love it. You know, came to understand that it connected me with the community. Uh, I gave me a really good understanding of the issues and the priorities of those issues that people had and just really inspired me to do further, you know, to, to pursue it further. So even though I didn't do very well in that very first, in that first go, um, I did very well in terms of learning what it was all about and learned it was something that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's really admirable, um, especially to continue to run for mm-hmm. office, um, you know, after mm-hmm. having so many setbacks. Um, what was, you know, what is that like, you know, for, as a candidate, um, you know, it takes, a lot to just put your name on the ballot. Um, it takes a lot to actually run the race, and then it takes a lot to lose, and then to come back um, and to decide to run again. So, what what really was it that just continued to drive you to run? I take the long term view. You know, if if all you do is look at a defeat, and you say, you know, if, if you don't look, you know, as I would tell people, it's only a loss if you don't look past election day, and so. After the second time I ran after redistricting was the first year of the new District 15. I hadn't moved, but the boundaries had moved. I got 47% of the vote. And you need to understand, I had no na- hardly any name recognition in the party or in the district. Mm-hmm. So I literally came out of nowhere as far as the public was concerned. And... Uh, 47, I thought that was pretty good, 47%. That is you know, good for a Democrat uh, in Idaho. <laughs> yeah, in a, in a district that hadn't elected a Democrat since the earth cooled. And so <laughs> w- w- when I look at it, I say, you know, so, but the other, the, inter- the interesting thing that really kept me going, even from between the first year and then the second year, is after that first race, I looked at, took stock of all the people that had supported me, my campaign, people who had contributed to my campaign, uh, people who voted for me. And I pulled together a meeting of, the, of, of a core group of people who had 
had supported me in the face of very long odds. And I just couldn't see letting all that effort go to waste. I mean, we, you know, even though I wasn't, even though I wasn't victorious, we were successful. We built a base of voters, of supporters, and when you get forty-seven percent of the vote, um, that's I could not see throwing away that asset. And this is a big problem that I think we have. We have just one and done candidates, and they don't. If, if you take the long-term view, you don't think necessarily in terms of immediate victory. You think in terms of success. And so every time I ran, I got closer. I had 47% of the vote in 2012, 48.4% of the vote <laughs> in 2014, 49.2% of the vote in 2016, and then finally one in 2018. And, to, and what that told me is that more and more people were willing to give me a chance. And how do you, how do you say no to that? And what I found is that People who were supporting my campaign, they weren't contributing their time and money. They were investing mm -hmm. their time and money in the effort. And in that alone, that, that in and of itself was a very strong motivator to continue running. I think that a lot of candidates, you know, they maybe see coming back to run for office as almost like... Uh, it's, it's almost like a bit self-defeating a little bit right after the election, you know, to come back and say, well, I lost, but, you know, I guess I'll just go ahead and try it again. And, you know, what do you say to those candidates that are maybe still on the fence that ran in 2018, um, but that maybe are still weighing whether or not to run for office? What would you say to those candidates? Well, you've got to want the job. That's really important. If you, you've, you've got to first look at within yourself and ask yourself, do you want this job? Okay. If you want the job, then you, then, you, then you take the frame of mind that I just mentioned. You look at the success you achieved, okay. and then you build upon that. Anything worth achieving is worth the effort. And, uh, you know, I could say, like, look, not that I'm comp comparing myself to these great people, but Martin Luther King did not undo segregation in one march <laughs> in, in Alabama, and Gandhi did not undo home rule in India by a march, one march to the sea. Um, it takes it takes a, a sustained commitment and effort to do it, but what I found is the more I did it, the more support I got, both from from voters, from contributors, from volunteers, and people want, will are willing to help and will want you to succeed. If you're running in a district, you know uh, where that you know, has never elected a Democrat or hasn't hasn't done so in a long time, and quite frankly, it's the same if you're running as a Republican in a Democratic district. Right. You have to give the voters a chance to get to know you. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you now how many times uh, through the, camp, the, the multiple campaigns when knocking on doors that by the time I knocked on the door the second or third time, uh, they're not only voting for me, but they're telling me their entire family will vote for me and they'll take a yard sign. <laughs> <laughs> because by contrast, they, just by simply showing up the door multiple times without even having to say a word, it sends a very clear message to the voter that the, the, the person they've been voting for for the last two or three or four cycles has never been seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and in some cases, they don't even know who it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think the underlying message that I learned, which I think is very heartening, is that in fact, most people do want to vote for the person, but they never get to meet the person.
So they wind up making their decision based on the very little bit of information that is available to them, which often is just a letter next to the name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to people and you get, you know, you get past, you know, the politics of it, you wind up agreeing on about 80 or 90 percent of the same things. Do you feel that the voters themselves are maybe shifting on certain issues or do you really believe that it's, you know, because you're going door to door, because you're meeting them face to face, that that is really what's tr what's what's pulling people, pushing people to vote for you is that trust because yeah. they've seen you door to door. So I, I know that I have a lot of friends in the you know, who are Republicans and in, in the Republican Party, and a lot of them like to chalk up my victory to shifting demographics, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, which is, a, which is a, is a, is a convenient excuse. Mm -hmm, right. But the simple fact is, I don't know of a single registered Republican in District 15 who changed their party affiliation. <laughs> They're still Republicans. Mm -hmm. They're still conservative. Um, but what they were willing to do is give me a chance. Mm -hmm. And have you seen, so um, now that you are a legislator, um, and you are going door to door right now, currently talking to your now constituents That's right. uh, and also potential voters. Um, what, is that, what is that like? Have you seen a shift in those conversations? So the issues are still the same. The top, you know, my, my door knock is very short and very simple. I essentially ask people, what do they, what do, what do they want me to do? <laughs> what, do want, what do they want me to get done? Because that's my job is to represent them. And the top five or six issues are still the same. The priority of them have changed, though. So two years ago, the top issue was education and the underfunding of education. The second issue was health care, particularly Medicaid expansion. The third issue was wages not keeping up with the cost of living. The fourth issue was infrastructure and, and, uh, and roads. And the fifth issue was protecting access to public land. Okay, those are still the top issues, but the orders changed. Today, the number one issue is still underfunding of education with people being more conscious and volunteering. I don't I don't cue them on. They just simply say, and we're not paying teachers enough. Mm. And I found that very interesting that, that voters are, they understand some of the issues and concerns with maybe a little more detail than we give them credit for or that others will give them credit for. But the number two issue at the door, um, and almost rivaling education right now, is government not adequately managing growth. And what sits under, that is the umbrella for all those other issues of traffic, roads, transportation, and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And I hear it every single day. The third issue is not keeping up with the cost of living and particularly concern about taxes and property taxes. Um, and and that's, that particular aspect of concern about property taxes is more prevalent. And then the fourth issue is is healthcare because Medicaid expansion passed? It's not quite as uh, frequently mentioned, but there. But when it is mentioned, people are extremely angry. I mean, really, you, you can tell the emotion. They are angry with the legislature uh, uh, having um, basically called them stupid for not knowing what they voted for mm -hmm. by adding. You know, when when the legislature chose to add all these uh, uh, really onerous restrictions and requirements, such as work requirements, reporting requirements, referral requirements, they didn't ask for that. And they're even more angry that the legislature wants to take away their ability to put another ballot initiative, excuse me, an initiative on the ballot. Um, by making it nearly impossible for that to happen. So where people are aware of that, um, they're, you know, that's, a, that's almost a top issue for them. There's a real palpable anger uh, with uh, what, the, uh, what the Republican Party is doing on, on that issue. So, and access to public lands also comes to, still is, still is on that list, and, and for those people who are outdoorsmen, 
uh, or families that like to recreate where they have and finding that they, you know, the places that they've gone to for, for decades in some cases are no longer available to them. Uh, there's a real anger there as well. So yeah, Steve, you going off of that and going back to something that you mentioned earlier, that it kind of seems like the values that Republicans hold closest to them aren't necessarily uh, being championed by, by Republicans in the legislature. So Republicans gave you a chance. So my question for folks, just Democrats around the state, because people are listening to this around the state, what, why do you think they gave you a chance in District 15? And why do you think that gives us hope um, across the state for Democrats and Republicans, Democrats running and Republicans potentially giving us chances elsewhere? Well, I, I think that the, uh, what gives me hope is uh, what, what I did say earlier is that, in fact, people are willing to vote for the person if they get to meet the person. And so, uh, so it's a combination of things. It's, it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of what Democratic candidates do to make themselves known to the voting public and doing that hard work. I mean, you, are, you can't do it with mailers, <laughs> you know. Um, you have to, if, if someone is going to give you a chance, they have to look you in the eyes, and you have to have a meaningful conversation with them at the door to do that. But it's a combination of essentially uh, uh, the Democratic candidates working hard to do that and, and the uh, Republican incumbents who, quite frankly, have really essentially run just based on the letter next to their name and have really disconnected themselves from the voters. I mean, the voters the voters feel taken for granted. And the more extreme the Republican Party becomes in the legislature, the more they distance themselves from the more traditional uh, portion of their base. So I've had... You know, I, I had one person at the door who's a Republican say to me, you know, he's lived here and he's lived in West Boise for a long time. And he said, you know, I'm a Reagan Republican and I've been following politics in this state. And I have to say that um, as a Reagan Republican, I think I'm an Idaho Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And in fact, what I've seen from, you know, Republicans like to characterize Democrats as crazy California liberals, you know, and to basically create fear because, you know, the more they can, the more they can make the voters be afraid of Democrats, the less they actually have to answer to the actual things they've done to Idaho, which make us, which makes us dead last, which through their leadership in 30 years, we're now dead last in, in, in investment per student in education. We have about the lowest average wage in the nation with the greatest percentage of minimum wage employees making the lowest minimum wage in the nation. Healthcare, still, they still can't figure out how to, how to address health care, and yet property taxes, gas taxes, grocery taxes, fees, and rents keep on going up. Can't blame that on the Democrats. <laughs> and so that portion of the Republican base that actually is more interested in voting for critical thinkers instead of ideologues are more and more interested in seeing and having a choice on the ballot box. But it's up to the Democratic Party to make sure we put that choice on the ballot. Hey, Idaho Democrats, the 2020 presidential election is upon us. We will vote in a primary for the next Democratic presidential nominee on March 10th, 2020. You can absentee vote, early vote, and vote at your normal polling place on March 10th. So Steve, we have a question on Facebook for you. Oh. And some of this um, you've already touched on 
uh, but it's from Christopher Matthews, and he asks, how do we get people to vote for Democrats in our red districts that vote straight R no matter what? How do we break through and change public perception of what it means to be a Democrat in Idaho? Well, you have to meet the voter, and the voter has to meet you. And, you know, it's interesting. People say knocking on doors is all about getting, you know, get, you have to knock on doors to get votes, and that's true. But the other thing that you get is knowledge because you learn how your, how your constituents feel about the issues, and you learn how to talk about those issues, uh, and, and also in the language that, you know, that they understand and appreciate. This doesn't mean you say what voters want to hear. You never do that. Um, you, you, you always have to make sure you maintain your integrity when you talk to voters, but just listening to what voters care about helps you focus on, uh, f- focus on, uh, on the things you would need to do if you represented them. And you have to believe, as I believe, that in fact, I can do a better job representing the interests of my Republican voters in my district than the Republicans they've been voting for. And you have to believe in that because it turns out that the most important issues that affect voters, and I don't care where they are in the state, um, are nonpartisan issues. It's the issues, you know, a lot, you know, all the really emotional hot button issues, you know, like guns and abortion and things like that, they get a lot of the attention uh, and they really certainly swing emotions. But when it comes down to it, for the vast majority of voters, the issues that affect their daily lives are education, wages, health care, traffic. In fact, traffic may be more than everything else because they have to deal with it every single day to get from point A to point B. These are the issues they care about, and quite frankly, the majority party has not done a good job in addressing those issues. Instead, they keep on diverting and distracting the conversation to these other issues. Uh, and, and, and the other thing is uh, what I encourage any, anyone running for office is stay, don't, you know, national news and national politics gets all the attention because you can't turn on any form of media and not be inundated with it. But the simple fact is that for, for most people, our daily lives are affected by government at the state level because we're much closer to the laws that impact us on a daily basis as well. So if you stay focused on, on the, 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 uh, the, 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 uh, the position you're running for, listen to your voters, have, an, have a genuine, sincere conversation with them about it, um, you will win votes. You will, I mean, you will win the trust or at least the respect and trust of the voter who will be more likely than not to give you a chance. Thanks for the question, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. What sort of the uh, take, um, what what sort of take do you have on being an elected official? Like what, what sort of policies, what sort of kind of culture are you trying to create uh, by being an elected official? Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not an ideologue. You know, uh, I, Quite frankly, you know, I don't wake up every morning reading the party platform and saying, "Ah, this is." You uh, don't. I'm shocked. I don't. This is, you know, <laughs> um, morning reading. You know, and I and I don't and I don't um, call, you know, leaders in my part, you know, in in my party and say, "How should I vote on this or vote on that?" I mean, I'm I'm not representing. Uh, what I'm representing is my district, and that's and and you you learn that very quickly when you when you knock on doors and you talk to people you it grounds you in what this job is it is representing people you're not there to represent yourself you're not there to represent other people you're not there to represent lobbyists you're there to represent uh the people who get to vote for you all of them whether they voted for you or not 
So I'm, while I'm not an ideologue, uh, I do have certain values or certain principles, quite frankly, and, and, and when it comes to the role of government. And I think that one of the roles of government is to protect honest, hardworking citizens from forces beyond their control. I mean, I believe in individual responsibility, personal responsibility, but you can't fight uh, big banks, <laughs> okay? If you have a problem with a bank or an insurance company or a manufacturer of a product, you, you can't as one, as one individual, you know, uh, uh, f fight that issue. G government is the only force that has the ability to do that. So when out-of-state billionaires buy up hundreds of square miles of Idaho and use the immensity of their holdings to block your access to your public land on the other side of their property, and then they put a gate on the only road that can get you there, and then they put an armed guard at the gate, uh, you can't fight that. You need the power of government to help you from that force beyond your control, which in this case is the, the, the power of, of immense wealth, the disparity. So when I hear about uh, people defending these billionaires, well, they, they, they're entitled to property rights too. Sure they are, but they're not entitled to use that right to the point where they deny you your right. Mm -hmm. And that, that's just one of many examples of where government plays a rightful role in, and same thing with healthcare. I think government plays a rightful role in uh, helping honest, hardworking people who are truly in need. Again, it, 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 you know, you don't live on the public dole, but but uh, but helping people—that's what a civilized society does. Hmm. And so, uh, you look for ways for how, and quite frankly, it also makes economic sense in the long term as well. Hmm. Uh, so. You know, so so it's really important to you, you get some sense of guiding principles, which helps helps you make decisions as specific legislation comes before you. Back to door knocking, real quick. What is a door knock like during a presidential year versus a midterm? I think what happens in a presidential year at the door, not much difference, quite frankly. I mean, people, if if it's on their mind, they'll mention it, and you know, I'll I'll discuss it with them briefly. But I make it very clear that I can't do anything about that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the end of the day, you know, I. You know, like I've told people, like I've, you know, I've searched my attic. I've I've searched my house from attic to crawl space, and I can't find my magic wand. You know, I can't, <laughs> I, I can't, and it's not my job to do that. I'm here to represent these ten square miles in West Boise. I mean, I had a, uh, a person I had a conversation to. I came up, walked up to his door. And he had three Trump signs. <laughs> in his yard, including one draped across his house mm -hmm. on, a, on a clothesline, you know. But I, I walked up to his door, and we, and, and you know, we had the conversation. He was, he was fed up with, you know, he was fed up with national politics. Well, you know what? So am I. I, I could agree with him on that. I'm fed up, quite frankly, I'm fed up with both parties at the national level. You know, I think that, you know, they're so removed from what's happening locally. Um, and so we could commiserate and agree on that, but then we s quickly turned the conversation to, running for house seat 15a <laughs> you know and and you know and he, and he said is well you know i got to tell you i'm just really tired of all those incumbents and good old boys you know that you know you know for any other first person that ever came to my door uh you know since i've lived here and i've lived here for 26 years and uh 
And yeah, you can put your you can put your yard sign in my yard. <laughs> and so I had a, a Steve Birch sign next to a Trump sign <laughs> in, in, in in my yard. And I like that because it's both it both represents bipartisanship, and it also represents a distinction between national and local politics. And that mm-hmm. you can make you don't have to vote monolithically, you know, party line when you get to your ballot. You can make choices. But he was able to make that choice because he had the chance to meet me. And chances are, if I had not knocked on his door, I never would have gotten his vote. Another lesson from Steve Birch. You'll never know if you'll get a vote unless you try. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And then, uh, so what is in your, maybe your most memorable or your funniest uh, or your most awkward door knocking? Uh, Well, there's, there's, there, there's a lot. What I would, what I'd recommend people do, if you want to see, if you want to see some of those, I have a Facebook page called, um, it's Steve Birch for Idaho. And I post occasionally their door knock of the day. And I've been doing this for years now. And th- they're all true stories. You know, sometimes the names are changed to protect the end. Well, actually, I, 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 I make sure that, you know, that, I, that I keep people anonymous on it. But they're all true stories and true door knocks that I've had. And uh, if you want to see a, a, fu- a cross section, because some of them are funny, some of them are poignant, some of them are sad, um, uh, and some of them are very issues based. Uh, and but they're all very real and and it's fun to do uh because it 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 helps share my experience you know with with voters alike so i'll just i'll just recommend people go there to facebook and if they they can they can choose what they think is the best story as a just a citizen in district 15 Uh or in district 14 whatever any of the 35 you there's an issue that comes up in the legislature and you're super passionate about it um Maybe tell us a story about when it actually, like last year, perhaps in this in this session that you've been in, that people expressing their voices and letting their voice be heard actually mm-hmm. made a difference in the legislature. Well, so I so let's see. I would say that the the issue with Medicaid expansion, um, I think, I think had an I think it had an impact, even though the net result was still uh, the House. Um, uh, the, the the House putting these constraints on Medicaid expansion, they took note sure. of of what happened. And sometimes the effect, the impact may not seem favorable in the short term, but could be favorable in the long term. So it was unfortunate that what the Republican Party chose to do in reaction to the voters telling them that they did not agree with their decision over six years to refuse to expand Medicaid. The Republican Party chose to react to that instead of listening to the voters and saying, oh, maybe we should, maybe we should respect mm-hmm. what the voters are telling us. They chose to go the other direction. A more extreme direction is we're going to make, it, we're going to make sure that they'll never be able to tell us what they think. We're just going to make a ballot initiative pop, uh, process impossible. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that would seem to be a, a negative effect, you know, of voters getting involved. Sure. But taking an extreme opposite view of the, your electorate is the foundation for the electorate changing their mind in the future. Correct, yeah. Uh, because you can only tell voters so much that you're stupid— you're too stupid to know what you voted for. And you can only tell voters so much that we want to make sure we never have to be answerable to you because we're just simply going to take your vote for granted on no- in November. Right. Uh, 
And things change over time. And the electorate changes over time. And we see this in American politics, deep ocean currents that sometimes are generational. But for every action, there is a reaction. And the Republican Party, unfortunately, chose to take a reaction that I think will hurt them in the long run, which means it'll help, quite frankly, challenging, ch challenging candidates in the future, mm -hmm. be it moderate Republicans or Democrats. You are obviously in the legislature. You're already door knocking for next year, correct? Mm -hmm. How do you... And not even you, but beyond it, a lot of us, you know, there's presidential debates going on. We're all getting emails from presidential candidates. Um, we're mm -hmm. all, you know, lots of people that are listening to this podcast are all involved in the news. But uh, how do you, as somebody who's deeply involved in politics, maintain some sort of normalcy in your life? Mm -hmm. What do you what do you do to to kind of break away for a minute to take a breather? I don't watch cable news. <laughs> That's good. Period. Those are snaps. Neither do we. Yeah. And I don't and I don't listen to. Uh, to hate radio or talk radio. I don't. I, I, I don't listen to it. I, I, um, uh, it's a distraction. You know, it, what, what, I, what I've come to learn on cable news is that there's maybe about 40 minutes a day of actual real news to be reported, and the rest of it is all opinion and spin. And I'm really not interested in letting other people who whose credentials are questionable uh, try to persuade me how to think. Okay, so I, I just don't. I just don't let it get into my life. We get closer to the election. I'll pay a little more attention. You know, I mean, I, I'm not interested in picking which of my, which of which of the 76 Democratic <laughs> candidates are my favorite. Right. You know, I'll wait till it gets down to three or four. You know, you know, and uh, and maybe start taking a look at it. So. Sure. Good thing we nixed that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, if someone's interested in running for office, uh, would you want them to reach out to you to talk about what your experience was like? Uh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I listed a whole bunch of issues uh, earlier on in this conversation, and they're all very important issues, but there's one issue that's, that's more important than all of them, and that is bringing balance to the Idaho State Legislature. The legislature is 80% Republican, and it's been, it's been that way for decades. And quite frankly, it would be just as bad if it was 80% Democrat for 30 years <laughs> or more. It's not a function of party. It's a function of human nature, that when you have concentrated power for decades on end, you lose touch with your voters, you take them for granted, and you wind up representing yourself, or worse, the only people, you wind up representing the people that you do talk to, which are the people who live in the legislature, in, in the Capitol <laughs> building, okay? And they have their own set of interests. So, um, uh, so we need to bring more balance, uh, both, you know, uh, to the, in, in two ways. We need to bring a political balance to the legislature so one group of people can't control everything that happens in the state that they have to, because I think good ideas and good people come from all directions. And every, you know, can contribute to an intelligent conversation to make good decisions, and not just good decisions for the short term, but even more important, striking a balance of decisions, uh, th uh, long-term thinking as well as short-term thinking. Uh, and it's just gonna take a different composition in the current legislature. Uh, to do that. How would candidates get in contact with you? Well, they can uh, they can reach out to me uh, on my uh, Facebook page. They can reach out to me on my website. Uh, it's birchforidaho.com. Number four, letter four? The number four, yes. So Birch, B-E-R-C-H, then the number four, then Idaho. And, uh, you know, I, I, when I'm at, I, my, my personal cell phone number is on every card that I hand out to voters. It's on my website. Uh, there's an, 
infinite number of ways, a, 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 a long way, a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of me, and um, uh, so please, uh, if if you're serious, if you're serious about running for the legislature, uh, especially in a district where Democrats don't win very often, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Well, thank you, Steve, Thanks, for Steve. being our uh, our first legislator yeah, our in first, the recording studio. Our first guest. Yeah, our first guest. Well, they always say you save the best for first. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard it said that way, yes. (laughs) And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this other episode of ID Pod. Thank you so much again to Representative Steve Birch uh, for joining us. Jesse, Lindsay, it's been fun. It has been. It's been real fun. We'll see everybody next time. Bye, guys. Thanks.